In today's two-part episode, we are going upstream to shift the way you think about symptoms you experience. Everything from cravings for sugar and alcohol to lack of motivation and energy to all of the chronic health disorders. Because seeing your cravings and symptoms as the downstream effect of an imbalanced gut microbiome allows you to address the root cause so you can actually fix the problem. Hippocrates said that all disease begins in the gut, which means it ends there too. My name is Colleen Cashman. I'm a sober-ish recovery coach, helping high-achieving women get emotionally sober so that drinking less or not at all feels like a superpower. Join me each week for evidence-based holistic strategies to regulate your brain chemistry and nervous system and also develop a growth mindset so you can feel proud, confident, and resilient with or without a drink in your hand because it's not about the alcohol. Welcome back to the show. So this is part one of our discussion about the link between gut health and alcohol use disorder. And I want to start with kind of a different random question. Have you ever noticed that it's really not normal to be healthy anymore? Which is why maybe you shouldn't be so hard on yourself when it comes to your struggles with alcohol. Alcohol may have become your drug of choice, but everybody uses something I mean, do you know anyone that's not medicated? Most people in the United States take at least one pharmaceutical medication. 25% of us take more than five per day from our doctor. And we like to throw shade on drunks and illegal drug users. But if you remove all of the social paradigms for what's acceptable and what isn't, There's no moral difference between smoking a doobie or going to the bar and going to the pharmacy. Everybody's just trying to feel better. Your drug of choice is just a matter of preference and access. I remember having a script for Vicodin after my fourth child was born by C-section, and I really liked it. It felt warm and cozy. And I was less bothered and actually even more connected to my screaming preemie and my three other small children. But if you've ever used narcotics, you know that feeling doesn't last long. Within a day or two, instead of taking one pill every six hours, I re-upped at the four-hour mark. And then I started taking two instead of one. And by the time my prescription was almost gone, I saw very clearly that it wasn't so much as taking away my pain. I mean, it did help it because C-sections hurt, but it was more the feeling that the pain didn't matter. That's what I really wanted. And I remember distinctly the moment I decided to pour a glass of wine and switch to Tylenol and just save the last few pills for an emergency. The words in my head sounded like, I can get the same effect with a glass of red wine. Like, I don't have to rely on a drug. Because like many of you listening, I simply didn't know alcohol is a drug. I thought it was a safe medicinal tonic, a reward for intelligent, hardworking people, a way to relieve stress. At that point, I always stopped after one to two glasses, and I didn't drink every night. So I saw nothing but green lights and heart-healthy benefits. 
And I didn't think of prescription medications as real drugs either. Anything I got from my doctor was just a gift from the universe. I mean, thanks, Obama. Me and my friends used to smile when we saw each other in the pharmacy line. Better living through chemistry. Cheers. And when I look back now, I can see the web of interconnectedness between all the prescription and over-the-counter medications that I took and the slippery slope I was on with alcohol use disorder. I can see how using drugs to suppress my pain or to change the way I felt allowed me to function at an impossible pace. I was ignoring my own needs, which created a deep disconnect in my relationship with myself. I was conditioned to only care about how things looked and then to control how I felt with an ever-changing and increasing combination of alcohol and pharmaceuticals. What I didn't know was how drugs affect our gut microbiome. Hell, I didn't even know what a microbiome was. I didn't know that 95% of our serotonin, which is our sense of well-being, is produced in our digestive tract, or that immunity and hormones, inflammatory processes, and cognitive function are all controlled by our microbes. I thought symptoms, whether it be an infection or a headache or bloating or even bad moods, were just something you had to manage, not pay attention to. And when I experienced a problem in my body, I just wanted to make it go away as fast as possible so that I could keep going. I never thought to ask, why is this happening? What is this pain telling me? How can I take better care of myself? Instead, I viewed my body as weak and the drugstore as my source of strength. If pain is a messenger, I shot the messenger every damn time. And as beautiful and resilient as the human body is, you can only do that for so long before you start to break down. Just like everyone has a drug of choice, we all break down differently too. Some people gain weight, others have mental health issues, some people experience addiction, other people get sick a lot, and eventually most of us end up with one form or another of some chronic disease. I truly thought I could outsmart my body. I could hack the system. My diet was as clean as I could make it. I spent an hour in the gym every day. I even taught yoga. I did all the good mom and the good wife stuff. I literally tried to make myself as small as possible, to need less than everyone else, to give more than everyone else. Meanwhile, I swallowed anything that promised to make my life easier. And by the time I was 35 years old, I was taking more prescription medications than any sick person would think reasonable and washing it all down with a bottle of wine every night. Now, in contrast, at age 50, I don't even need a cup of coffee to start my day. What happened? Well, I woke the fuck up and I realized I was simply doing it wrong. And I had dug myself into a pretty deep hole and there was only one way out one broken fingernail at a time. Reversing the trajectory of my health wasn't easy, and it didn't happen overnight. But you know what? Not reversing it would have been way more difficult. You may not know that the root cause of nearly every symptom you're experiencing, including alcohol use disorder, as well as depression and anxiety and all the other stuff, is actually a symptom of an imbalanced gut microbiome. And every attempt you make to suppress those symptoms 
only makes things worse. My guest today is Josh Deck, a holistic nutritionist specializing in gut health. He educates functional medicine physicians in how to reverse chronic inflammatory conditions and autoimmune diseases. In this first episode, he and I discuss the big picture and how many of the healthy habits that you think are supporting you are actually working against you. Josh is going to share his personal experience and professional experience of working with people to reverse everything from irritable bowel to arthritis and addiction. And he's going to talk about how to find a gut health practitioner who can do a GI map so you can get a personalized plan to balance your biome so that your body can heal itself as it is designed to do. And in the second episode, we're going to talk specifically about alcohol and alcohol use disorder and addiction and how alcohol affects the gut and what you'll need to do to repair and reverse the damage and why sometimes when you first quit drinking, strange new symptoms seem to pop up. The state of your overall health may seem to get worse before it gets better. And the reason is pretty simple. When you stop drinking the active ingredient in hand sanitizer every night, the populations of microbes in your gut will need time to adjust. So buckle up and enjoy the episode. Thank you, Josh, so much for coming on the show today. I'm so excited to talk to you. Like I shared, I think that gut health is the missing piece to so many of our so much of our understanding about what's wrong, what we need to do to correct and get to a place where we have balanced mental health and physical health and all the things. I think gut health is just, it's just the invisible elephant in the room. And so can you introduce yourself, tell the listeners who you are, what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Josh Deck. I'm an ex-paramedic. I'm a holistic nutritionist specializing in gut health. And it was a really interesting journey on how I got here. But the short of it is the clients that I've worked with in the gut disease space, there's a lot of diagnoses they've had that were thought to be just impossible. It's autoimmune. There's nothing we can do. It is what it is. And through the successes, just from a different functional medicine lens. It's I've had the pleasure of being connected through that to some of the world's most famous doctors and experts. And I've been since then recruited as a medical lecturer to the Priority Health Academy, just helping educate doctors in the functional medicine space who want to make that transition from conventional medicine. So gut health is an absolute passion. There's nothing I'd rather be doing. And it really is a center of life itself. Yeah. So what is your point of entry? I definitely have experienced a lot of lack of quality care where gut health is never addressed. You go to the doctor, you get antidepressants or you get medications for allergies or, you know, you get told to go to an AA meeting. And so much of my own health, when I look back, the disorder began in the gut, you know, and then it snowballs into other things. So what is your point of entry, especially when, with regards to most people don't seek help for gut health. They mm -hmm. seek help for the symptoms that are caused by a dysregulated gut. Absolutely. It's a really interesting question because when we look at the gut, I can confidently tell you it's actually the root cause, either the cause or a major contributing factor in 93% of the leading causes of death in North America, these chronic inflammatory conditions. And so we know the gut has all these wild connections. And so 
any disease process anybody comes to see me for. I, I specialize in Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, but I worked a lot in the past on PCOS, asthma, diabetes, skin issues, uh, depression, anxiety, all kinds of things. And they all have gut health roots. And so it really is, in my opinion, the low-hanging fruit. Even autoimmune diseases, if you have an autoimmune condition of any kind, there is a 99% chance you've got a gut health link in there somewhere, even though you may be asymptomatic, where you may not have a, you know, a ton of bloat or irregular bowel movements or acid reflux or whatever it may be, but there's going to be some kind of gut issue in relation to that, be it bacterial deficiencies or something else that's going on, a leaky gut, whatever it is. So there's always a tie. And so we talk about point of entry. It's basic. We just want to know, what do you feel? If you feel nothing, I have even more questions. We then have to go a bit deeper. So having been on so many health journeys, plus I have seven kids and a life full of people, I have personally overcome what I refer to as leaky gut. Actually, I had a raging case of SIBO, mm. small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, that I was able to kind of self-diagnose and work my way through using some various supplements. But my question is, we all hear about what's the, the thing everybody takes over the counter where you buy the, okay. I'm like antacids that comes? No, I'll get to that. Every, like the new probiotics. Okay. Everybody takes probiotics and we understand that, you know, we need to seed our gut and we need to take probiotics and prebiotics. And so I know I have tried so often to correct problems in my body with supplements like that. Plus I have done a strict vegan high fiber diet for 10 years and then reintroduced meat. And I have struggled with symptoms throughout my life that I think the biggest, the biggest shift I had to make is gut health doesn't change overnight and there really is no one smoking gun. But what would you say are the most common mistakes that people make and I want to specify people who are trying to correct their gut health, mm -hmm. people who understand and they're buying the probiotics, they're trying to eat more fiber. What mistakes are they making where you end up just getting frustrated and feeling like, okay, nothing's working? That's a really good question. And obviously all these things are going to be individual to a person. There's a lot of commonalities. And so I want to back this up a little bit. You mentioned probiotics and prebiotics. That I think is a mistake a lot of people make. We hear probiotics are good for us, so we just take these probiotics without really studying the gut, understanding your bacteria. Some really important things we need to know before even talking about probiotics is the complexity of our gut. Right? I can say to you, I had a squeak in my car and I fixed the window and it went away. I go, oh, I'll fix my window. Your squeak could be coming from somewhere else. We're so vastly different. And if we look at the gut bacteria, right, you and I have about 100 trillion bacteria inside of our guts, 2 to 3% of our entire body weight. That's you know, 3 to 5 pounds for the average adult, which is an immense amount of, of bacteria. And all of our gut bacteria have their own genes. There's genetics and bacteria microbes. Your entire genome, a human genome, is about 23,000 genes. We have about 3 million different genes inside of our gut bacteria. And so I often say it's more important than our DNA. We have to understand how complex it is, it integrates with every aspect of our body. And so when we start randomly throwing in things like probiotics, you have 18 million different bacteria in all these different counts that total 100 trillion. And by taking probiotics without understanding the bacteria you actively have in your gut, you could be putting fuel on a fire. 
for example, someone who already has an abundance of really common ones we'll see in probiotics you get at the grocery store, like lactobacillus, acidophilus, these different bifidobacteriums. If we don't do a stool sample, for example, and you have gut issues, we want to see what's called a GI map. And this is just a DNA analysis of your bacteria in your stool, as much as we can see in 2023 technology. But we can see, okay, you have way too much of this lactobacillus and you're taking this probiotic, you're putting fuel on the fire without really realizing it. On top of that, we look at some of the mistakes that a lot of people make. Oftentimes, a vegan high fiber diet can be extremely difficult for people because if you do have overgrowth of bacteria or imbalances, even if you have a good number of good bacteria, but an imbalanced number of bad, they will typically eat first. They're opportunistic. They're often dominant and they love fibers and starches and carbs and sugars and so beans and legumes and all these things we eat, they're fermentable. So those dominant bacteria, though not the best bacteria, the most ideal, they will eat first. They consume it. And when you eat, you poop. Your bacteria also eat and they also poop. And so are they pooping good things or bad things? And if we're feeding the dominant bugs, they will poop bad byproducts, creating more bloat and inflammation. And so oftentimes going on these high fiber diets is actually problematic when in reality we want low fiber or in some cases even an animal-based, more carnivore-based diet for people with overgrowth. And so I'd say exactly that. You brought them up beautifully going to a high fiber plant-based diet for your gut and taking probiotics for your gut relatively arbitrarily can be a pretty big problem for people who maybe don't understand the complexities of what's going on. And so in the gut space, I've made 21 different types of diets. I'm not saying 21 diets, but 21 different, like high fat, low fat, high fiber, low fiber for different people based on their gut profile, what their bacteria is doing. So it, it can be very complex, which is a challenge because, you know, we want our health to be a DIY experience. Right. And, you know, I'm thinking of, I have one of our kids who, gosh, for a 20 year old, she is doing everything she can. She's done the gluten-free diet. Mm. She goes dairy-free. And she still has clearly something going on in her gut where she goes to a primary care physician and she's given, you know, what do you say, the antacids or the Mm -hmm. promethazole or or whatever it is that's a proton pump inhibitor. You know, she's given medications by the doctors. She's taking all the actions that a college student possibly can. You know, she doesn't drink alcohol. She eats, you know, good food. But to your point, she's doing it based on a DIY. We've even had her, her tested for allergies. You know, we've tried to do everything we can to help her. And yet she still is uncomfortable when she eats, you know, and that is so hard to watch and feel like there's nothing I can do and that this is just the way it is. And I have other kids who like almost everybody's got chronic migraines these days and they were raised with me with And, you know, you can tell me this, but I've raised them to eat vegetables and fiber Mm -hmm. and we do have meat and everything as well. It's it's as clean and as a whole foods diet as you can get. So why are our kids still struggling and what would somebody do when they just feel like they've done everything that there's Mm. that they think they should? That's a great question. The first thing I do with anybody I see is take them off antacids or proton pump inhibitors. They are by far the worst thing we can do for our gut, unfortunately. We need stomach acid. It's absolutely critical. And the number one cause of acid reflux is actually low stomach acid. And so it's really interesting when we go through this process and understand like the sphincters above and below your stomach, right? The lower esophageal, so what comes in when you swallow, and the one that goes to your small intestine, 
those are both pH and pressure sensitive. And so if you don't have the fluid volume, the actual fluid of stomach acid, plus the acidity of the stomach acid, those sphincters will actually open at free will. So you end up getting this acid reflux. And so we're seeing a lot of these problems, but not only that, it means you're not digesting food properly. You're going to lack a lot of nutrients. Your food processing will be very slow because the assembly line, it starts at the top and it knows your stomach will open and say, okay, let's move this through to the small intestine when it's ready. And if it's digesting slowly due to a lack of stomach acid, that's going to inhibit you as well. Then you're going to be deficient in iron and all kinds of other things that your stomach acid is not extracting. Not only that, but all the bacteria that are maybe hitching a ride on your piece of sushi or whatever it is, not necessarily E. coli salmonella, but any bacteria, that gut pH, that stomach acid is a huge regulator for what does and does not enter the stomach. And again, we swallow and move things through. There's a certain pH balance. The top of our body, when things come in the mouth, it's very alkaline, but in the stomach, it's very acidic. And that acidity gets more and more alkaline as we work our way through these intestines, again, to the rectum when we have a bowel movement. It's clearly not acidic, otherwise we have a problem and it hurts. And so there's this huge regulation along the assembly line causing bacteria to be imbalanced where and how it should be. But if we do something as simple as put proton pump inhibitors in, we're lacking nutrients, we're lacking assembly line, the whole assembly line. Imagine if Ford Motor Company just had somebody get up and leave their station, right? Everything would shut down. And then again, the bacterial imbalances contributing to conditions like SIBO and many others, which then leads to leaky gut because we have inflammation, which leads to allergies, sensitivities, food sensitivities that get longer and longer as time goes on, immunological disorders in the works. And leaky gut is at the center of autoimmune conditions down the road. So it really is this snowball effect that if we follow it, we can understand why these issues like your daughter is having at just 21 years old. What would you tell her she has done everything she possibly can on her own to adjust her diet based on, you know, the big things that are at least pop culture to do, the gluten-free and the casein-free and, you know, no, less processed food and all of that. And so taking medications to treat the discomfort, how do you bridge the gap between, mm -hmm. you know, an, an active state of dysfunction and wellness and deal with the symptoms along the way that I believe also, I agree with you that medication is a snowball down the wrong mountain. It may help with some symptoms now, but let's see back in five years, you know, it's not going to solve the problem, but how do you bridge the gap? How do you get somebody mm -hmm. to start feeling better faster than months and months of trying things that just don't work? Mm -hmm. And that's a really tricky one to answer, but I can definitely speak generally. Everyone's individual, but the number one thing we have to do, you're already doing, you're removing all the bad stuff. So your alcohol, your dairy, your processed foods, inflammatory foods, grains and gluten and legumes, all these things that can contribute to an inflamed environment. You're doing that already, which is beautiful. But then we have to understand there's damage done. And you know, if I'm wearing a pair of shoes without socks and I go for a walk, right, that wear and tear on the heel, it gets red and blisters and gets raw and it will bleed and you keep going, you can wear down to the bone if you saw it so fit. And so we have to understand there's also now the damage already done. Right? By simply taking off the shoe, that's not always the answer. We have to go now and actively repair that tissue or give the body what it needs to repair itself. And so if there's damage done to the gut bacteria, that, that ecosystem of 100 trillion bacteria, we have to take a stool sample. It's fantastic. Look at that and see what's in balance, what's out of balance, what's overgrown, what's not. And once we can see that, 
we can then actively go in and start correcting the bacteria because there's a lot of actionable things we can do in a GI map. Some doctors will tell you they're a waste of time. In my Crohn's and colitis clients that I work with, that is at the epicenter of what we do. And so it's very actionable, even though it's not the entire 18 million species, we can still take a lot of course of action. So that's number one, remove. Number two is test. And then we want to rebalance. We can reintroduce certain microbes or kill off the bad microbes. And so that's a big step is recreating balance. Then it's a matter of getting the inflammation to come down, which it will naturally. We can also assist in then repairing those tissues. And then after that's done, the leaky gut starting to heal after months or some people, years, depends on the damage done, then we can reintroduce certain things, certain foods, and see what the tolerance level is. But the number one thing, remove repair, repopulate, re-inoculate, and get the gut back to its homeostasis where everything is working like an assembly line should, really smooth, really fluid. But right now, she's got a lot of hiccups in her system, and many people do. You know, there's a lot of medication we take, exactly like you said, for the symptom, which does create the comfort. And to address your question about bridging the gap, that one's really tricky because if we get people with autoimmune conditions, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, other digestive diseases, sometimes I do take an integrative approach where we say, you know what, I can't legally tell people any way to come off their drugs, but I'll say, I will encourage you to keep taking your drugs. Many people want to stop. I said, right now, it's giving you the quality of life you need to live your life. And when your symptoms start to come down, even though you're medicated, you have symptoms, when they start to back off, then you can have that conversation with your doctor and say, hey, can I increase the length between my dose? Can I maybe back my dosing off a little bit? And then we can work that in a very smooth transition for someone like your daughter. The first thing I'd recommend is actually try adding acid back in and see how she feels. Like, like HCL, HCL pills. pills. Yeah, yeah, I've used those as well. But um, if she has issues, so for example, she has an H. pylori bacteria in her stomach, which can cause burping and acid reflux, sometimes that can be tricky, right? Because we want to be careful not to wear the stomach down. In those cases, we could try something like apple cider vinegar, which is good to, it's antimicrobial, can help kill off the HCL while providing acid and mix it with a black seed oil or something, which is again, antimicrobial for H. pylori. So it's touch and go, but a GI map will give you those answers. And where does one get a GI map. I know I have done, you know, some expensive testing where I sent away poop samples, you know, and did that whole thing. I don't feel like that's all that mainstream. Where does, where would somebody go to get these answers? So even if they are on medication, they can start looking at the upstream problem and make a plan for that. Mm -hmm. The first thing I'd recommend is talking to a clinician who can do it for you, right? Whether it's a functional medicine specialist. I'm not a functional medicine doctor, but I have access to labs myself. So some clinicians in the holistic space can do that as well. One of the challenges with GI maps is they're not typically actionable to the public because there's a lot of complexities. You know, it's like reading your own blood labs. Like, what do you do with that? And so that's one of the challenges. Some will tell you, hey, if there's an imbalance, here's the recommendation, this supplement, that supplement but again, in context. And so that's where it does get complicated. Those who have given stool samples before, you know how humanizing of an experience it is. They send you this little cardboard tray that looks yes. like a hot dog, right? Mm -hmm. Tray from the ballpark and you're naked squatting in your bathroom trying to give the sample and you're scooping it out. So that's uncomfortable, but there are a lot of labs that can do them for you. Most do require practitioner permission or to sign off. Others, you might be able to access like 
diagnostic solutions or Genova, they might have something where you can access just as a, we'll say a civilian to come in and just get your sample and get it done. And you can see, they'll tell you high or low or whatever it is, at least you'll know, then you can take that to somebody. Unfortunately, medical doctors, unless they are functional medicine doctors, really don't understand them or know what to do with them and often have a very, we'll say a lack of reverence for the gut microbe, which is why they'll often give you antibiotics just try these and see how you feel. Like we just have no regard for our microbes. So, you know, you can get GI maps done, but they are tricky to work on by yourself and sometimes very dangerous. If you have a lot of bacterial overgrowth, if you bring that to the, your doctor, for example, they'll just give you antibiotics, which will make that worse. 100% will make that worse. 100%. On 100%, which is very hard to say in medicine, 100% anything. But I promise you 100% those antibiotics will make it worse and feed the problem. Or if you try to take action by yourself, you can cause some very dangerous reactions that we call like a Herxheimer reaction, which can cause basic things like flu-like symptoms, migraines, toxicity, but worst case scenario, liver and kidney damage. So it can be a very touch and go process for sure. Can you give a general example of what somebody might experience to work with a gut practitioner. Okay, so we've done your poop lab, we've got a GI map, and what sorts of things are they going to be told to do? I mean, how scary and restrictive is this? And what's the timeline? You know, what's your typical thing that you see? Let's just do Crohn's, for example. Mm -hmm. Crohn's is very complicated. I don't see as much of it as I do ulcerative colitis. When there's autoimmunity involved, first thing it's, it is removal. It depends on the severity, you know, and a lot of people won't take action on it, unfortunately, because like, well, I don't want to restrict my diet. What we're doing is replacing the taste of food, those momentary enjoyments over a lifetime of health. And so that's my first caution is that culturally speaking, I think it's important to separate food from function or food from health. Take it away from it's a celebration or I deserve this treat rather than I deserve the treat of the next 40 years of happiness without autoimmune disease. That's number one. But number two, I've made restrictive diets. You get ground beef, olive oil, and rice four times a day, nothing else. On the other hand, I've given people, given people completely robust diets. But the overarching concept is number one thing, and this is hard for a lot of people to remove, your dairy, your legumes, your nightshades, your wheat, gluten, alcohol, sugar, processed packaged foods, anything that's basically, we'll say, unnatural or manufactured in any sense, we have to remove number one. And so it can be relatively restrictive, which can be scary. But I say in the first 30 days, by just removing, just removing all the bad stuff, and I mean, you can go hardcore, you can go through your house and look at your soaps and perfumes and deodorants and everything that's got a fragrance or everything that has any artificial, live like a hippie in the woods for 30 days and then tell me how much better you feel. And after that, we can look at reintroducing certain things, but there are more steps, but it just takes 30 days. Some people after seven days, my clients who come into my programs, I tell them, give me 90 days, you will be 50 to 100% better. I've had people come in with severe ulcerative colitis after 16 years, symptom-free, three weeks, down from 30, 40, 50 bowel movements a day to five or six in just three weeks. And some, you know, I've had people come in with severe constipation where it's one bowel movement, believe it or not, Colleen, every two weeks induced 
by magnesium citrate, drinking a whole bottle. And in just three weeks of removing and letting their body clean itself, they're having a regular bowel movement every day. And they were like that for 10 years prior. So the body has amazing benefits, but there are tricky cases as well. Not everyone responds so easily. So 30 days is kind of my timeline of just removing, see how you feel. And that's the most basic thing people can do. Yeah. When I got SIBO, I had really bad food poisoning in Mexico and really highly resistant. And I ended up in the hospital where they gave me IV antibiotics, which I did not consent. I had 105 fever and was unconscious. And so Mm. that decision was made for me by my husband and it, it is what it is. But then I felt like I had to recover for about eight months from the antibiotics and what that did. And I, to this day, have flare-ups of Mm. issues, but I did, that was when I had to stop being vegan because it was like, it was a choice. You know, do you want to feel like there's a blood pressure cuff around your abdomen every single day? And every time I would get a little stressed, like my abdomen would, you know, it was definitely stress sensitive. But so I took the steps and you know, did the poop testing. And I now feel very healthy. And at the time, and I would love to bridge this at the time I was still drinking. Mm. So I did all of the right things and certainly didn't come to complete health. I still wouldn't say I'm completely healthy. I still, like I said, I have flare ups, but I think that this is crazy talk here, but part of my desire to quit drinking, I do believe was because I was doing the work to correct my drinking. And when, you know, we blame ourselves for behaviors like addiction, but so much of it is also driven by brain chemistry and gut health and things that we are subconsciously completely unaware of. You know, the healthier my gut got, the more alcohol felt like poison to me. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, okay, why are you still doing this? You know, and it wasn't an overnight thing, but then one day I woke up and I said, okay, I am done with the alcohol. So can you talk a little bit about alcohol's impact on the gut? If anybody needs any motivation? (laughs) Of course. All right. So lights up. This is your intermission. Take your time, process what you just heard. I've got Joss's information in the show notes. So check him out, poke around and take some time to let this information digest. And then when you're ready, head on over to episode 89 for part two of my discussion with Josh Deck on the link between gut health and alcohol use disorder. In part two, we're going to dive deep into your specific alcohol-related questions, and I will share my own recovery where a month into quitting drinking, I all of a sudden thought I had gotten diabetes. I was up all night peeing. And as I have no risk factors for diabetes, that was super weird and scary. I'll see you in episode 89.